0: Thanks Bobby. Morning everyone. Oh hello, excuse me. It's good to be with you again today. I've spent the last few weeks actually uh, at the back uh, in a teenager Bible study that we've just re-kicked off again. That's been really exciting and I want to share it with you because the leaders who are leading that Bible study were youth group kids with us last year. They, they were kids that grew up through Kids Church and have hung around and decided to disciple teens. I think that's really exciting and I think that's worth celebrating. So, when I, when I pray in a second, I'm going to thank God for that. Uh, so, how about we pray and then we'll jump into this passage. Let's pray together. Father God, thank You for Your Word to us today. Thank You that You have spoken. I pray that we would now hear, that we would listen, give us hearts ready to accept Your Word when it speaks and rebukes us, help us to repent. Where it encourages us, help us to be lifted up. Father, today help us to fix our eyes on you. And Father, we are so thankful for those leaders who have, growing up with us here in church, and now discipling teenagers themselves. We pray for them as they lead Bible study for the first time by themselves today, that you would help them uh, to do the same thing, bring the word to the lives of these teenagers so that they might be shaped and changed and transformed to be more like Jesus. Amen. My name's Tim. If I haven't met you yet, I'd love to meet you after the service. I'm one of the pastors here along with Hans. If if you're interested in introducing Jesus, you can come chat to me about it and I'll give you some more details. Well, we've had quite a storm this week, haven't we? A literal storm uh, outside, all the rain, thunder, uh, enough that there's been people in my family who have been quite frightened not necessarily the, uh, my one-year-old and three-year-old, uh, most of my life. Um, but we've also had metaphorical storms. I mean, what's going on in the Ukraine is awful, isn't it? It's just tragic. But over the last few years, it's kind of been like storm after storm after storm, hasn't there? COVID hit, and we're still kind of reeling from it. And just before COVID, remember, there was the bushfires, I remember friends uh, living up north taking videos from their house where they couldn't just see the smoke in the distance, they could see the flames. And COVID hit and then uh, in 2020, there was all that uh, race violence and all the protests around that. And things just keep happening. The eruption in Tonga. And I'm sure there's more personal things that have been happening in your life as well. Things that... um, we might not even know about, your own personal storms. This week, as, as we look at uh, this account of Jesus facing a literal storm, I, I want to tell you about a literal storm that I faced when I was younger. Uh, we, uh, me and my family, we, we were visiting the beach for dinner. We, we did this every now and again on, on a Saturday evening. We were visiting the beach, we had our dinner, we were heading home and we lived about 20 minutes from the beach, so it was a bit of a drive. Two minutes into that drive, a storm hit. And it was one of those storms where it was really obvious we couldn't continue driving home, right? The rain was so intense that the wipers were on full blast and still the only thing you could see out the windshield was the wipers going. There was lightning, there was thunder. We were worried that the car might get struck. And so we did what any sensible people driving on the road in a storm would do, is we took shelter and we pulled into a local Macca's. And as like, you know, 10-year-old me, I thought this was the best thing in the world, right? Chicken nuggets all night. But, but my parents were being sensible. They pulled into Macca's and we sheltered there until the storm passed. Thankfully, it, you know, it blew through quite fast. It was intense, but it moved quite quickly. We were only there for about an hour and a half, uh, which really limited my Macca's intake, unfortunately. But it was a really frightful thing. My dad's the kind of guy who would normally push through these things so it was intense enough that my dad was the one deciding to take shelter. It was quite scary for them but all things considered it's quite a mild storm compared to some other storms. Just in in the last uh, couple of years in, in 2018 actually a tropical cyclone hit in the northern territory, Cyclone Marcus. It had wind speeds of over 250 kilometres per hour. That just flattens small buildings in its path. It just wipes things out. It costs $100 million worth of damage. Storms can be truly frightful things, such powerful forces of nature that are chaotic and destructive. And in this account, we we don't see a Category 5 cyclone, but we see some fishermen... In a boat on the sea, struck by a frightful storm—one that doesn't threaten to just cause damage, but to take their life—they were afraid they were going to be cast overboard and drown. It, it's such a frightful storm that these veteran sailors, these these guys who knew this lake inside and out, knew that it was something to fear. They're about to go down, and this passage, as as we look at the literal storm here, it it speaks into our other storms, the storms in our life that cause us to fear, the forces of nature and chaos that oppose us. And so as we reflect on this passage here, Jesus is going to help us reflect on our own storms and how we might face those and how He speaks into those things. One such storm that's been brewing for a long time but has really only become evident in the last couple of years is the world's attitude to Christianity. You you may have noticed this already, you may not, but in the public sphere, Christianity has, well, was in the centre. We we were kind of accepted, our voice was heard, and and in fact, people relied on our voice. And slowly it drifted to the outside, so that we were just one voice among many. But now, we've been dragged back to the centre, not as the voice that that should be listened to, and reasoned with, but the voice of the bad guy. Christians are now the bad guys. You you may have felt this in in your workplace or uh, at your kid's school or uh, in the local sporting club, where our voice, the Christian uh, beliefs that we hold, the beliefs that we get from the Bible, actually called dangerous and harmful. This is a storm that we will all face together. And it is a really frightful thing. We're in danger of being called bigots, of being cancelled, of losing our jobs, of having kids thrown out of schools and sports and teams and this is a really frightful thing. In Victoria, Christians are in danger of heavy fines and jail time for practising what the Bible teaches about gender and sexuality. So then how does Jesus quieting a literal storm Help us with these other storms. What what does it have to do with you and me? Well, the clue is in what the disciples ask in verse 41. Have your Bibles open. We're going to keep looking at uh, Mark chapter 4. So make sure they're open in front of you and you can see them. Look at verse 41. They were terrified, that is the disciples after Jesus spoke and calmed the storm. And they asked each other, who is this? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey Him. Who is Jesus? As Jesus quiets the storm here, He reveals so much about Himself, so much that will help us navigate through the storms that we will face in our lives, the ones we're currently facing in any future storms. As He does, He gives us the cure for fear in the face of storms. He gives us the cure for fear in the face of a world that now calls us the bad guys. So let's let's jump into this passage and and look at who Jesus is and what he reveals about himself. Let's have a look at this miracle together. Let me just quickly run through what happens. In verse 35 and 36, Jesus has just finished a long day of preaching. Now I'm going to stand up here for 25 minutes uh, and I'm going to be pretty tired after this. I'm going to do it again tonight. I'm going to sleep pretty well tonight. Jesus has been teaching all day. So when he hops into a boat and has a nap, I can understand that completely. It's an exhausting thing for him to do. He, he finishes uh, his, his time teaching and he says to his disciples, look, let's hop in the boat and head to the other side of the lake. Maybe he wants some peace and quiet, maybe he just wants the rocking of the boat to help him nap. So they hop in the boat, off they go, Jesus heads to the back, finds a cushion, lies down and goes to sleep. Now it's the Sea of Galilee that they're crossing or the Lake of Galilee This is the same place that Peter and James and John, they were fishermen on this lake. It might have been one of their boats that they were using. They knew this lake really well. And so they knew that at a moment's notice, a storm could come. The kind of geographic conditions around the lake meant that these storms came on fast and that they were pretty intense. And so while this storm isn't a completely unexpected reality, it seems to be quite an intense storm. Excuse me. It seems to be a a far more severe storm than, than they might be used to because they think the boat is going to go down. They expect to drown. But where is Jesus in all this? He's still having a nap in the back of the boat. He's still fast asleep. And the disciples, they can't quite fathom why Jesus, through the course of this storm, is still asleep. And they're thinking, Jesus, don't you even care that we're about to drown? So they go and they wake him and they express their concern to him. I, I imagine in all the fear, there was frustration and possibly even anger about Jesus now. And then in verse 39, after they've woken Jesus, well, have a look at it with me. He got up, rebuked the wind... And said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Just like that, the sea was completely calm. With just a few words, the whole dreadful storm was stopped in its place. It had been completely tamed. What what I find amazing about this is the complete lack of effort on Jesus' part. He just speaks a word and it stops. You kind of expect that there might be some struggle, this big powerful storm and Jesus has to tame it somehow and he has to exert some effort. I'm imagining like, you know, a weightlifter as they go to the world championship and they're struggling and straining and the veins are popping and they're making that big grunting sound and they're struggling to lift it. I kind of expect a struggle like that. He's trying to stop and oppose this powerful force. But Jesus is actually more like Superman who can just come in and kind of lift up the weights and toss them above his head without any effort. Jesus is so incredibly powerful that his words put this huge force of nature in a cage immediately. With Jesus, there's no effort, no struggle. He just speaks. And the storm is stopped in its tracks. Why? How? How can he do this? With a word, the psalm stops, Jesus speaks, creation listens, He commands and creation complies. Jesus is demonstrating a power that only God has. He demonstrates authority that only God has. Keep your finger in Mark chapter 4 and come with me to Psalm 107. And have a look with me at verse 23. We'll just read a few verses from here. Psalm 107, verse 23. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. The law, the, they saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest and lifted high waves. Come down to verse 29. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They they were glad when it grew calm and He guided them to their desired haven. In the Old Testament, God's the one who calms storms. God's the one who protects sailors and guides them to their haven, to their port. God's the one who controls nature. Yet, back in Mark chapter 4, Jesus demonstrates that same authority. Jesus has power over all of creation over all of nature. And so this brings us to the question that the disciples raise in verse 41. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey Him. Who is this? This is Jesus, the Lord over all of creation. This is Jesus who who spoke creation into existence. This is Jesus whom all the stars in heaven were cast from His hands, This is Jesus who created all the fish in the ocean, all the animals on the land, all the birds in the sky. This is Jesus, the Lord of all creation, who keeps our sun burning and makes the supermassive black holes at the centre of our galaxy continue to suck in matter. That's nothing to Jesus because He's Lord over all of creation. That is the first thing Jesus reveals about Himself here as He calms the storm. This is Jesus Lord over all creation. A storm is nothing to Him. He speaks and it obeys. But that's not the only thing that Jesus reveals about Himself. Let's move into the second thing He reveals about Himself because this isn't simply just a storm. This isn't simply just rain and wind and waves and lightning and thunder. No, this is a spiritual attack on Jesus' followers. There is more than just the physical realities going on here because there is more than just physical realities in our world. This is a spiritual attack because it doesn't just threaten to kill the disciples, it threatens their faith. It threatens them with fear so that they might be drawn away from faith. You see, in the Bible, uh, fear and faith are set as opposites. Fear and faith are set as opposites. They're opposed. If we lack faith, sorry, if we have faith, we lack fear. If we have fear, we lack faith. How are they opposites? Well, if you trust in Jesus, you'll trust Him to pull through anything that could cause you to fear. Our trust in Jesus fights fear. But if we're afraid, we demonstrate that we don't actually trust Jesus to Protect us through these things and here the disciples are caused to be afraid. In the constant battle of fear and faith, a powerful attack by the evil one is to cause us to fear. Have a look at verse 40, Jesus said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Do you see how those two things are opposed? Having faith means you lack fear, having fear means you lack faith. And the disciples are made to fear, drawing them away from Jesus and so this is a spiritual attack on them. The powers of darkness and chaos are trying to draw Jesus' disciples away from Him to make Jesus alone. And those same powers, they threaten us today too. We are under a spiritual attack now today. We are being made to fear instead of have faith. Remember that we're being made to be the bad guys now. We're we're being... uh, People are saying that the things we believe, that the things we hold dear, that the Bible teaches us as truth, are called dangerous and harmful. It's been called bigotry. Let me tell you about David Macarthur. He's a doctor in the UK. He was working as a disability claims assessor in 2018. So uh, people would come to him... He'd assess the kind of insurance level they were able to access because of um, how severe their disability was, right? But he was dismissed when he refused to use people's preferred pronouns. Instead, he said he would only use the pronouns that match their uh, physical sex. And he refused based on his Christian beliefs. He said that because of what I believe about the Bible, because of my religion, I will not Use the pronouns that people ask me to use. I'll only use the ones that correspond to their physical sex. He was dismissed. He appealed to the tribunal, the medical tribunal, and he lost. This is the reason the tribunal gave for his dismissal being fair. They said, a lack of belief in in transgenderism and a conscientious objection to transgenderism, in our judgment, are incompatible with human dignity, And conflict with the fundamental rights of others. Do you hear how Christian beliefs are being called wrong and evil and harmful and dangerous? They are incompatible with human dignity, they are incompatible with fundamental human rights. The irony is there that the only reason we have an understanding of human dignity and fundamental human rights is because the Bible gives us human dignity and fundamental human rights. The Christian belief that people have dignity and have rights has been completely ignored and just assumed and so Christian beliefs can be thrown out and said to oppose those things. Now I wonder how you feel in your workplaces about similar situation or, or with your kids in schools who who try to push these ideologies that we may disagree with. Sports teams who make statements about these things How how do you feel when faced in those situations? Are you afraid? Do you fear that you will be tossed aside, that you'll be punished for what you believe? These are frightful things. Maybe it's not losing your job, but ruining relationships with friends, with family. Maybe you're being abused online because of what you believed. You're losing opportunities that someone else has taken advantage of because of what you believe. All because what the Bible says is considered harmful and dangerous. That is exactly what Satan and his cronies want. They want us to fear. They want us to be afraid so that we would question the truths of the Bible and maybe... Uh, give in to some of the ideologies of the world that oppose those things so that we might not be attacked, we might be welcomed back, that we might be gathered in with the rest of the community and said, yes, you're so brave and good for opposing the horrible teachings of the Bible. That is a spiritual attack on us. But in the midst of the spiritual attack on the disciples, there's Jesus who speaks a word and ends the attack two words, and, and all the spiritual forces cease. They flee in terror. Jesus has complete authority over them, just like He does over creation. Jesus wins the battle hands down. There's no contest. Remember, He's like Superman lifting the weights. No effort at all. He's completely in control. But as Jesus wins this battle, He heads towards Jerusalem, He dies on a cross and he wins the war. He takes away Satan's ability to accuse us of wrongdoing by offering us forgiveness. Satan has been utterly defeated. All the forces of chaos and evil have nothing on us. Sure they can stamp around a bit now and cause a bit of chaos but ultimately they can't do anything to take our salvation but they can make us fear and give it up ourselves. And so, here we see Jesus, the Lord, over darkness and chaos and Satan and evil. He gives us nothing to fear. As we read in Psalm 2 earlier, we see a picture of God on His throne and He's laughing at the nations that oppose Him. He's laughing at any opposition because His King, Jesus, will destroy them all. No effort on His behalf easy, because He's Lord over all chaos and darkness. Who is this? Verse 41, who is this? This is Jesus, the Lord over chaos and darkness. So, so what do we do in those frightful situations? What, what do we do when we're being made to fear? We fix our eyes on King Jesus. We fix our eyes on Him, on His throne, and we remind ourselves that He reigns that he has defeated Satan, decisively. It might look like the world is winning, certainly does right now, It it looks like the church is losing. But the reality is, Jesus has won. Jesus has already won. Yeah, Satan may still be stomping around, causing trouble, but ultimately, his power is limited He can't take away our salvation. He can make us fear so that we might lose it ourselves, but He can't take it away. Trust in Jesus, the Lord, over chaos and evil. One of my favourite movies is Catch Me If You Can. I don't know if you've seen this movie. Uh, It's a little bit older now, uh, but it's based on the true story of Frank Abagnale. Frank was a, a con man who forged checks and other documents for a number of years so that he never really had to work. He uh, was able to impersonate an attorney, a doctor, a professor and a pilot. I don't know about you but if I got on a plane and found out my pilot was a con man, I'd be a little shaken by that but but he managed it so that he never had to do any surgery, he never had to fly a plane, he never really had to teach a class, he never really had to practice law, he forged all these things so that he never had to do any of this stuff, he just pretended to be these men. Finally, though, the law caught up and he was arrested and uh, he served some time in prison. But afterwards, Frank became a security consultant. He, he, his life turned around. Instead of forging checks, he stopped people from doing that. He, he would go to banks and say, let me teach you and your bank tellers to figure out how to spot fakes so that people can't do what I've done, so that people can't defraud you of all this money and, and get away with it. And, and what's really interesting when you... Teach people to spot fakes. You don't get all the fakes and say, this is what they're doing in this fake and this is why it's wrong and this is what they're doing in that fake and this is why it's wrong. What you do is you study the real thing. You get the real banknotes and the real checks and you study every little detail on those things so that when a fake comes through, you can tell straight away. Well, that's not real because that doesn't match up the real thing. That is what we're to do when we're caused to fear. We focus on the real thing. So that when anything comes across that might be dodgy or cause us to fear, we know something's wrong with it because our eyes are fixed on Jesus in heaven, on eternity, so that we won't fear. We devote ourselves to places where we might continue to have our eyes fixed on Jesus. So in a Christian community that will continue to focus us on Jesus by reading the Bible with one another and by ourselves daily, so that our eyes might be continually fixed on Jesus, so that we might be so devoted to the real thing that nothing else could cause us to fear. And here's the thing, we need to devote ourselves now, before the storms get worse, before other storms come in, because it's really hard in the middle of a storm to devote yourself to that. We need to be so convinced of Jesus' Lordship now, so that when that belief and idea is attacked... We're firm and steady in the face of it. So so far we've seen Jesus is the Lord over creation. We've seen He's the Lord over chaos and darkness. but that's not the only two things Jesus reveals about himself here. Jesus does show his disciples that he is complete and out of control, but he does it in the context of salvation. He saves his disciples from drowning. He saves them from the storm. Jesus is a saviour. He has come to rescue, not just his disciples, but us. Jesus comes to rescue people from sin and to rescue us in the midst of our storms. Except what he does here is a little different to what he usually does for us. Here, he rescues his disciples from the storm. He says, quiet, shush, and the storm stops right there. Jesus doesn't promise he will always do that for us. Instead, what he promises is that he'll rescue us through the storms. Not that He'll stop the storm in its tracks, but that He will hold on to us throughout the course of the storm. And in fact, hold on to us and grow us through the course of the storm so that we'll come out the other side with stronger faith, stronger convictions, stronger beliefs than ever. He will rescue us through these storms and that's why faith is so important. Because if If we fear that He won't do that, we will let go of Jesus and succumb to the storm. But if we have faith in Him, we will trust that He will deliver us through the storm. When the night is darkest and the waves are the largest and the lightning and the thunder is going on, if we trust Jesus to deliver us through, we will continue with Him. We need to have faith. Let me tell you about Sam, not my Sam, another Sam. This Sam was absolutely terrified of spiders, not not just like, you know, your regular, I don't like that, but if he saw a spider, he would become hysteric, he would shake, he would vomit, he would pass out. It, It was so intense that every night before bed, he would completely unmake his bed just to make sure there's no spiders in there and then remake his bed and hop in. He once found a spider as big as your fingernail in his car, he sold the car that day and bought a new one. His fear of spiders drove everything in his life. He would uh, make sure the path that he walked didn't have any overhangs because in an overhang there might be a spider's web where he might see a spider. That spider might fall on him but even if he saw a spider he would freak out. This fear drove everything in his life and he tried so many things to kind of get over his fear of spiders because it was affecting his life so deeply. One day he heard about a very radical treatment. And so, given that he had no more hope, he he decided to throw himself into it. What the doctors did is they got him in a room with a little glass terrarium with a big old tarantula in it. And the door was wide open. And and the doctor uh, who was in the room with him said, Look at the tarantula. And, And he's there, he's a quivering mess. He's almost hysterical and he's being forced to look at this spider and then the doctor gets out a little squirt bottle of water and squirts the spider so that the spider crawls around and he's just losing the plot. He can't handle it. It looks like he's about to faint and as his emotional reaction and fear reaches its peak, they leave the room and the doctor gives him a tablet and what what the point of the tablet is is it has to do with how memory works right so when we remember something it's almost like we bring the memory out of deep storage and we set it down in front of us and we look at the memory and then when we're done with it we have to save it back down in deep storage what that tablet did is it stopped it being saved and so when all his memories and fears and emotions about spiders were at the peak point he took the tablet and those fears couldn't be stored again. And so the next day he came into that same room with the same tarantula. The doctor got out the squirt bottle, squirted it, and asked how he felt. And he said, I don't know how I feel. I've never felt this way before. I know I don't like it, but I'm not afraid. The doctor said, do you want to touch the spider? And he said, sure, Like, let me hold your hand, but, but I'll touch the spider. He touched the spider. He was almost completely cured because he passed through his fear. He had to reach the peak of his fear, but he was brought through it. He had to trust that the doctors knew what they were doing, so he would step into that room with the spider. That's what we need to do. We need to trust Jesus will deliver us through our storms. We need to trust that he's working for our good, so that the other side, we might not be cured of our fear, but we will trust him more will be deepened in our convictions, we'll love him more. That is what Jesus promises us. Not that he's going to step on the spider and throw it out, but that he'll deliver us through our fears of the storm. And so back to the question that the disciples ask. Who is this? This is Jesus, the Lord of salvation. This is Jesus who has come to deliver us to forgive our sins and make us right with God and bring salvation in that very important and real sense that no one can take away. But this is Jesus who also saves us in the midst of life's storms, who sustains us and keeps us to the end. We need to trust in Jesus. Don't let fear win. We shouldn't expect the world to just 180 on Christianity overnight. We shouldn't expect the world to just say, oh, actually, we were wrong Christians, you were right, sorry about all that, we'll uncancel you, we'll give you all your jobs back. We shouldn't expect that. Instead, we should expect Jesus to deliver us through it, to uphold us and sustain us, even when we're facing termination, even when when our kids are being ridiculed at school, even when we're being cancelled and made an outcast instead of living in fear, we ought to show people that our beliefs make the most sense, that that our Christian beliefs actually help us live the best life. Imagine if if we lived in such a way that the non-Christian saw us and said, if their way of thinking about gender and sexuality, or, or whatever it is, is so wrong, why does their life look so good? If they're supposedly full of hate speech, why do they love their enemies and treat them so well? Why is their speech so measured when they're scorned? Why are their marriages stronger? Why are their single people so fulfilled in their non-sexual relationships? Why are they happier? Why are they full of hope? Why can they endure so much? Imagine if we lived lives that would make our non-Christian friends and family and co-workers ask those questions don't fear, have faith, have faith that Jesus will deliver us through these things. The storm that that says Christianity is evil and wrong and, and whatever storms you are facing in your own life, have faith, Jesus will deliver you through that storm. Who is this Jesus? This is Jesus Lord over all creation, this is Jesus Lord over chaos and darkness, This is Jesus, Lord of salvation. Jesus might not deliver us in this life, but certainly we'll be secured in the one to come. How about I pray? Father God, thank You for Your Word to us. Thank You that when we see Jesus calming the storm, He reveals so much about who He is and what He has come to do. Thank You that Jesus is the Lord over all of creation and He's the Lord over the forces of chaos and darkness. And thank you that as Lord of salvation, He will deliver us. He rescues us from sin and death, and He'll deliver us safely to eternity. Help us to not fear, but to trust Him. Amen.